Hello, everybody. Welcome back to I Want to Be A here on LJN Radio, where we speak with professionals in a variety of industries and fields so they can give us some tips and the inside track on these particular positions. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Now, we've brought up part two of I Want to Be a Psychologist with Greg Niemeyer with the American Psychological Association. Our conversation now continues with some details on the extra work you might have to put in and what is vital to a successful career. Now, you did mention the idea of sort of a labor of love, and and as you said, it's not necessarily uh, exclusive to psychology. In terms of hours then, I mean, you're typically, for your actual work, I mean, what you're mandatory, it is sort of a typical morning, early afternoon kind of thing, but I mean, it could be spread, right? I mean, you could be working late evenings, maybe, I mean, are you helping, are you helping a client late in the evening, or is that still kept to the day? What's sort of that uh, schedule like? Well, you know, I mean, if you're in if you're in practice, uh, there's always the client creep, and I and I don't mean the client <laughs> as creep. I mean the fact that there's always a press to do more sure. clinical work. So you'll have people who'll be calling you in the evenings. You know, certainly if there's a crisis, you have a patient, you're mm-hmm. going to be responding to that. But it's also the case that they're just scheduling things. I can't make it for my four o'clock. Can you see me at seven? Sure. So that's not at all uncommon to be working in the evenings, and in the other forms of psychology in basic science as a university professor, to be honest with you, a great deal of your work happens after work hours. You know, right. you're grading your papers, you're, you're writing manuscripts. A lot of that doesn't get, you can't shoehorn it into the day. It definitely is a nighttime activity in preparation for the next day. So, you know, I would say that you're, you know, the average psychologist is probably working in the in neighborhood of 50 or 60 hours a week. Sure. Now, we obviously talked about, uh, you know, sort of the, the education side of things. You mentioned a little bit in the interview trying to, you know, the, the personable in that aspect of it, trying to sort of sell yourself in that way. When you're looking at skills and personality, though, I mean, what have you recognized as being most successful or individuals that have really are able to thrive if they have maybe a couple of these key points, again, on the skill side or it could just be in a personality trait? Sure, sure. Let me, I'll say something about that. Let me, let me say a word about uh what, what's helpful in that regard on uh, on an interview, and then something that's just the kind of traits or characteristics that are helpful as a psychologist operating in the field. Sure. I think on on interview, it's really important that, that you go into an interview really having done your homework in advance. I mean, you should know the company, you should know the organization, you should know the university, you should be well-versed, you should be online, fully scoping out that position so that you can talk about it as an insider rather than an outsider. I think it's also helpful to go into an interview context sort of with the three eyes in mind, that is being informed, being interested, and being inquisitive. Informed tells everything. If somebody comes in and they don't know about your company, they don't know about your university, agency, organization, you have to wonder how interested they really are. Right. Interested, you can't assume that they know that you're interested. Even though you're there doing the interview, it's really important to indicate your interest. Ah, this is, I was interested coming in, but this is actually even more intriguing to me than I had envisioned. That counts for a lot because in the end, they're going to have to make decisions um, about who they're going to hire. And the person sometimes who wants it the most and is the most eager and interested uh, can win the day. And of course, inquisitive is critical because uh, inquisitive signals your interests. and, and, And let's be clear, the questions you ask send clear signals about what interests you. You know, if you're only asking about the weather and you're only asking about the pay and the benefits package, that's that's telling that's telling them something and maybe something right. you don't want to be sharing with them. So the kinds of questions you ask, uh, you know, signal the kinds of interests you have. It's very important to recognize that an interview is a two-way street. It's not just them finding out about you. It's also you finding out about them because at the end of the day, there are going to be two decisions that have to be made, them 
whether or not they want to hire you, and you, whether or not you want to sign on board. So it's important to ask questions and to get your, um, you know, get information and come out of it much more informed than you went into an interview. Now, on the other side, uh, in relation to the kinds of characteristics or features that are helpful in uh, as a psychologist, you know, it depends again on the context. But certainly, I think it's important to keep in mind that psychologists are very commonly multitasking. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you have or- good organizational skills that you can operate with independence and autonomy. I think being critically, um, you know, sort of be having critical thinking skills, being scientifically minded, expecting that you're going to need to be industrious and dedicated in order to be successful, and being, um, you know, being on board with the idea that um, most contexts are not going to be punched the clock. Uh, they are going to require pretty much ongoing multitasking. So the capacity to multitask is another important characteristic, I think. You know, we talked a little about the hours, and I could see that being a challenging thing, and then the extra work you put in, as you said, you know, a lot of it is after you sort of punch out, so to speak. What about some of the other maybe challenges um, or things that you would point out to people like, hey, be prepared for? Again, I know we have different uh, areas of psychology you can touch on, and, and maybe there's an emotional component if you're helping individuals, and maybe it's something else uh, on, on the academia side. Uh, what would you point to, though, some of those challenges for, for those listening? Well, I think that there can be challenges. Uh, you know, I think if you're on the practice side, you know, you do have the, um, you know, you have a considerable amount of responsibility in relation to the welfare of people who are in sometimes really troubling circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean this just in relation to the liability that you accrue by virtue of being their primary helper, but just the emotional burden of um, working with people who are sad and mad and um you know, injured or hurting or suffering on a day-to-day basis. The whole concept of vicarious traumatization or vicarious suffering is a case in point. It can be pretty daunting. So some kind of self-care and some kind of balance becomes an essential thing in relation to a practicing a practicing psychologist. I think most other challenges are like in many other careers. There's more to do than there is time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, learning when to say when, uh, when enough is enough and, and um, becomes critical. The, the challenge is not learning to say no to things you don't want to do. The challenge is learning to say no to things you do want to do. Hmm. Because what happens is you wind up just by accretion doing more and more and more and more until you suffer substantial burnout. And and psychologists are, of course, among the highest groups in terms of burnout and suicidality. So I think self-care becomes a critical a critical issue just in relation to the challenges that folks face on a day-to-day basis. Well, that's interesting that that sort of... Um you know, the, the side you just mentioned in terms of the, the negative, has that been something that I'd imagine has been studied in terms of, um, you know, the, the burnout, the suicide um, aspect to it? As far as the psychologists go, is that something that's really been explored and is there help for individuals in those cases? There is. Uh, I mean, there are even to the extent that there are, just as with physicians, there are uh, programs for impaired professionals. But mm. before you get to that point, the idea of self-care is really critical. In sure. fact, it's even built into the ethical code for psychologists that part of maintaining competence across time, which is an ethical mandate, an ethical imperative, is attending to issues of self-care because ultimately, as a practicing psychologist in a professional context, your emotional health is a critical instrument in the effectiveness of working with other people. Sure. So if you're exhausted, if you're burned out, if you're you know, chemically impaired or whatever, those compromise your capacity to work effectively with people. So there, is a, there are literature, substantial literatures on workout and uh, on um, 
impairment and uh, and burnout in um, you know psychological practice and you know mechanisms including you know personal support uh, you know group work consultation colleagueship as mechanisms to effect a better balance and to keep people sort of grounded and sane. So our listeners obviously are sort of taking all this in and, and obviously there's plenty of positives and the curiosity aspect to it. And then they're also hearing about the, the work and the, and the potential for negative uh, you know feelings and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so we do have to ask all of our professionals in terms of compensation, um, you know, whether it be financial or otherwise, what would an individual be looking at? Uh, again, they're putting in all this work. There's sort of the extra components to it. Uh, it's clearly, they want to know what they'd be getting into. So financially and other compensation-wise, uh, just a ballpark could you give our listeners? Sure, absolutely. The um, When you say uh, compensation, financial, and otherwise, that's well put because for psychology, it's mostly otherwise. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it is a truth. In truth, for most people, it is a labor of love. They right. either love the science side and they would do their own research for free if they weren't paid or they're doing the work to help people, and, and typically they're doing sliding scale stuff and working, doing some pro bono just to be helpful, okay. uh, as well as you know fee-for-service in order to sort of pay the bills. Salaries range tremendously. I think um, you could expect as a starting psychologist to be sort of in the seventy to 80000 range. Uh, at the university level, we would hire uh, faculty members in the upper 60s okay. for nine-month contracts, and in the summer you might make an extra five or $10,000. So I think a starting salary would be in a seventy to eighty thousand dollar range, with you know this sort of typical two or three percent raise per year from there. So I think it's it's fair to say that psychologists are reasonably compensated, but when you think that you're you're talking about a four year college degree and another five or six years in a doctoral program, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's psychologists are not among the wealthiest professionals. Uh, out there, certainly when you compare them to physicians or even engineers or many people in business contexts, you know they're not uh, they're not populating the uh, upper echelons of the Fortune 500s. <laughs> sure. Uh, how about any myths about the profession? I mean, obviously you've you've given us a lot of information. We greatly appreciate that. Are there things that maybe people just assume or, or these negative components that, that you've heard about? Psychology is filled with myths. I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way. Most people are going to think about psychologists in relation to Fraser Crane or Dr. Phil. Good point. And those Good are probably the, the two most improbable uh <laughs> Psychologists on the face of the earth. I mean, if your if your notions of psychology are predicated on Fraser Crane, you're going to expect to laugh a minute in uh, your workplace. And let me tell you, that's not true. You guys aren't that funny, is that what you're saying? Psychologists aren't that funny. Not really that funny. <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're when you're mired in human human suffering, or you're in the uh, you know in the back stacks of the uh, research quarters in a laboratory, you know, there's just not a lot of humor in those contexts. Yeah, I get that. Um, but you know, I don't think it's that different than being a medical examiner in a morgue, and yet the way it gets glorified on TV sure. and CSI, you know. So I don't think, you know, I think just the TV depictions are problematic. Obviously, if you cut your eye teeth on Dr. Phil, then you would expect a profession that was filled with sort of humorless know-it-alls. Uh, <laughs> and the truth of the matter is that's not psychologists either. Most of them are like other professionals. They're very sincere. They're dedicated. They're industrious. Uh, on the practice side of things, they're they're genuinely committed to the welfare of other people. So, um, so it is the case that, you know, I think people are well served by you know, by talking to psychologists who are actually doing day-to-day practice mm-hmm. 
and getting a sense of what that, you know, maybe even shadow a psychologist for an afternoon and get a sense of what they do and how that differs from sort of TV portrayals. So quickly, and I don't want to get you in any trouble with like that, but with someone like a Dr. Phil, I mean, is that is that is that something that, you know, the typical psychologist, I mean, you're frustrated by seeing something like that? Does it bother you? What's sort of your take? Well, I mean, it doesn't bother me in the sense that there are, you know, there are as many, there are three or 400 different types of psychotherapy now. Mm-hmm. So um, the kind of uh, thing that Dr. Phil does, I mean, obviously it's for entertainment purposes. Right, right. And it bears a faint resemblance to some forms of therapy, some forms of maybe reality therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy. But, you know, it's television and, you know, it's it's unfortunate that it portrays psychologists as much more sort of directive and, you know, um, in a sense, self-righteous than you would certainly find in most in most psychotherapy contexts. You're really working with the client on the client's terms, mm-hmm. much, attending, being much more sensitive to and respectful of, you know, their experience and the nuances in their lives, uh, the meaning they're making of, of the struggles that they're dealing with. So, you know, but when you're dealing with sort of, uh, you know, sound bites and uh, obviously limited TV time, then you have to move through pretty quickly in a, you know, sometimes bull and china shop kind of way. Um, so it just isn't a fair reflection of what actually happens in a psychotherapy room. Um, but it is a fair reflection of what happens when that gets translated into, you know, 22 minutes of TV time. Sure, sure. So it, it, I think it is frustrating for, for many people to... to um, have that as a primary depiction of, um, you know, of what people imagine when they come into therapy because they've been watching Dr. Phil for 10 years. <laughs> well, and then, then, you know, I think that's a side of it, too, is that for myself, like, I can't imagine if I had some sort of serious issue going that route. So I think, you know, the clients in those cases, too, uh, their, their mindset's probably a little different in terms of, you know, yes, they want to get help, but there's got to be some other component to it. I and mean, why not go to a private practice and, and Keep your keep all your you know all your issues private. So I think there is a side of that too that probably plays out. Yes, uh, you know absolutely. Now as we're looking to wrap up here a little bit, I mean, did you have any? What would be your sort of your your final piece of advice or something you'd really want the the job seeker to know or anyone who's interested in going into this field? Uh, you know, sort of just that that final piece that you really want to make sure. Like maybe if you were in these individual shoes, what you definitely want to know before jumping into into this industry. Well, I think part of what I'd want to know is I'd want to know what my interests were. You know, I'd want to I'd want to do some volunteer work, and I'd want to get a sense of whether the native satisfactions that attend you know, the the daily activities of a psychologist are things that I would love doing. Could I envision those things being a labor of love for me? Uh, I think two of the best ways to do it: one is to get some volunteer experience and see what fits and what doesn't fit, and another is to call up a couple psychologists. You know, invite them to lunch in exchange for doing sort of a career interview. Um, you know, spend a half hour, 45 minutes asking them about what they do, what they like about what they do, what they wish they had known uh, when they started out that they've learned since that time. Uh, you know, and my guess is that at the end of that, you know, you're going to learn a great deal, um, including something about the wide variety of things that psychologists do. And you can sort of locate yourself in relation to those interests. So the closer you look, the, the I think, more informed you're going to be. And um, I'd give a call to a couple psychologists and spend a lunch talking with them. 
Well, Greg, you know, we definitely appreciate you giving us a lot of insight and advice. And uh, you know, for all of our listeners that would be interested in this area, you definitely gave them uh, you know, something to chew on and, and sort of areas to explore, as you said there, especially at the end, really understand what you what you want to do, what you really love. Unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap things up here on I Want to Be a Psychologist here on LJN Radio. Our expert guest has been Greg Niemeyer, Ph.D. He's with the American Psychological Association. Uh, Again, thanks a lot for the inside look into psychology, Greg. We appreciate your perspective on this whole area. My pleasure. Of course, we'd love to hear from all of you, the listeners, as well. So let us know what other jobs you might be interested in learning about. Just email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you do have any comments or suggestions, really for any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.